Okay, so nice to see you all again. So we're going to keep going through Acts chapter 5, picking up where we left off yesterday. And then afterwards, we're going to take the, the bread and the juice, the communion, and then Evia is going to feed us, which is quite amazing. So there you, there you go. If you want to know what 14-year-old cooking tastes like, you will experience it, and it's going to be the best. Yeah. And contrary to what Tony said, it's not Rice Krispies. It's, <laughs> it's cottage pie or lasagna. Okay, guys, so let's, let's just start with a, uh, with a prayer. <clears throat> Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for all your love. And we pray that you will open our eyes to your word and that we'll hear again the call of your spirit, the call of your son, the call of your word. To, towards you and that we might go that way with our whole heart and soul so please go with us Father for Jesus sake Amen. Amen. right so yesterday we went through Acts 5 where uh, they've been selling they've been so excited after they got baptised that people were selling their property and giving it to giving the money to the poor and Barnabas sells his land he's got in Cyprus and everyone thinks oh what a wonderful guy and Ananias and Sapphira, this married couple, they sell some uh, land they had, but they keep back part of the price, and they give the money to the church. But Peter says, you're lying. And I guess they weren't lying by very much. Let's imagine their property was worth 500000 or whatever. And they, if they'd have said, oh yeah, well we sold it for 100000 it's 100000 everyone would have said, no, come on, your property's worth more than that. So to make it look credible, they probably kept back just a little amount. Oh, we sold our property for 400000 here's the 400000 Well, actually they sold it for five hundred. And Peter said, look, while it was yours, it was yours. And when you sold it, the money was yours. But why have you lied? And why are you trying to give the impression that you're more pious and righteous than you are? And they were struck down dead, which I, I said yesterday was a bit of a, um, you could say it was a bit sort of, bit hard of God. And I was saying that generally all through the Bible you see God's grace, God's love, I love you, I want you, it's okay, yeah, I forgive you, I'll be very patient with you. But every now and again, as you read through the Bible, you get one of these incidents where God is very tough on sin, and zap, you're dead. To remind us that although he is very gracious, all the same, the wages of sin is death. And that he is not to be messed with. And so you read on here, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all that heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders done among the people, and they were all gathering together in Solomon's porch. None of the rest dared join them, although the people held them in high esteem. And many more believers were added to the Lord, crowds of men and women. So straight after this happens, people are lining up to get baptised. <clears throat> you think that's a bit strange? Wouldn't it like scare the life out of people? Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to um, get involved with uh, Christianity. If you do something wrong, you might get zapped and you might be dead. Of course, the truth is, the wages of sin is death, and, and we'll... <laughs> we're all zapped anyway just that God is being patient with us who are still alive letting us live on and every second you live is by his grace and so why then were people getting baptised I think the idea is that 
when you see how serious these things are, it sort of motivates you. You know, the Lord Jesus said, he who believes and is baptised will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So there you are straight up, you've got a choice. Believe and be baptised and be saved, or do not believe and you will be condemned. And that is the choice, actually, before every, every one of us here. Either live forever or die forever. And that is, that is how it is. Absolutely how it is. And, yeah, in a sense, I'm glad it's like that. I'm glad that there is no third way. That it's either eternal life or eternal death. And when you read the book of Proverbs, you read about the two paths, either the path to life or the path to death. There is no third way. There is no third path. Now, Roman Catholics have this idea of purgatory, where if you're not too good, but you're not too, uh, too righteous either, uh, you, you know, you're not too bad, but you're not very good, um, that you, you go to a place where it's sort of in between. You suffer for a bit, and then you're good. Well, I wish that were true, because I'd say, yeah, that, that's where I should go. But that's not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. We come to the Day of Judgment, and there is only one of two exits, to the right or to the left. In the parable, Jesus says there are the sheep and the goats. There is no middle path. And that's good, because it encourages all of us to take things seriously, to, to go with our whole heart, soul and mind, the one way, the way of God, and not the way that's going to go to death. You and me are either going to come to the Day of Judgment and live forever, go to the right-hand side, or be sent to the left-hand side and, and die forever, basically. So that's our choice. Eternal life or eternal death. And that choice keeps coming back to you in all the myriad of decisions that we have in, in daily life, as life goes on. And it says that many were believe, more believers were added to the Lord, crowds of men and women. It talks about them being added to the Lord. Because when you're baptised, you belong to Jesus. You're added to the Lord Jesus. The Lord there is the Lord Jesus. And this meets man's need to belong. I want to belong to somebody or to something greater than me. We all think, oh, I'm a tough individual. I am. I just go my own way through life. Yeah, yes, uh, we, we all like to think of ourselves, but in the end we all want to belong. I want to be in a club. I want to be somewhere. I want to, let's say, for some people, walk into a pub and everyone says, Oh, hello, Johnny, how are you? I haven't seen you for ages. We want to have a family. We all want this. We want to belong. But the problem is all those things we try to belong to, be it a family, a club, a political party, a church. They all seem to go wrong very often. Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. Oh, the pastor's carried on with a choir girl. Ah, oh, we, we make a family. Ah, oh, whoops, he left me. She left me. Ah, oh, whoops, he's having an affair. Ah, oh, whoops, my kids uh, don't seem to have any time for me. Oh, it, and it all goes wrong. And I think that is... What, that is, in a sense, the background to the wonderful good news of connection with Jesus. That he is the one who will not disappoint. He is the one who will always be there. 
We are added to him. We are what he called, what Paul says, in Christ. We are baptized into Christ. So we are in him. We are part of his body. We are not alone. And this is man's greatest fear at the end, to be alone. We all think we're tough adults. That we have seen this, we have seen that, we're the tough soldier types. We all think that. We all think that I'm, I'm tough and all that. But actually, the truth be known, we are all the little child who is scared stiff of being left alone. Do not leave me alone in the darkness. That, that, is, that is all of us. Just as when you were very little, you didn't want to be left alone in the darkness. Don't leave me alone. Don't leave me here. And, and, and that is how we all are, actually. And you see, Jesus is real. Right? We talk about him, but he is actually there in heaven. And his present can be present in our hearts and lives by his spirit, by the comforter. When you're baptized, you connect with him. And you are added to him. You have that sense of belonging, that place where you are not alone. And so, it says there were crowds of men and women. Well, in those days, religion was just for men, basically. And the Bible and the Lord Jesus were way ahead of their time in being inclusive, men and women. Yeah? In, in those days, the men did the religion and the women just followed the religion of the husband. Yeah? But both men and women were making this decision to join Jesus, which was a radical thing for a woman to do because she was supposed to follow the religion of her husband. And if the husband was an Orthodox Jew or something or other, or worshipped certain idols, well, that's what she had to do. So for women to stand up and say, no, no, I'm, I'm going to Jesus, this was radical. And it's, it's the same really with us, that we're sort of locked into society in the way they think, and the way they are, and I actually come out and say, no, I'm going to be myself, I'm going to go the way of the Lord Jesus, is not, is not easy. You're welcome, guys. There's a couple of spaces at the back there. Yeah. So, so much so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that as Peter came by, at the least his shadow might fall on some of them. And they also gathered crowds from the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick people, etc. And every one of them was healed. Well, this is all very similar to what you read about the ministry of Jesus. That when he started his ministry, crowds of people were coming to him. People were bringing out the sick on beds and he was curing them. He was healing them. And I said earlier that the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are connected because it's the same author, although inspired by God. Luke wrote the book of Acts and he wrote the Gospel. When he begins the book of Acts, he says, The former book I wrote, that's the Gospel of Luke, was about all that the Lord Jesus began, began to do. In other words, now, with us as the body of Christ, he is continuing his work. And so, a scene like this, where there's crowds of people coming to them, believing, and then all kinds of people are being cured, and they're bringing out sick people in beds, and they're getting cured... This uh, absolutely recalls the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Of course, the point is that Peter uh, and those with him were continuing the work of Jesus. And I do encourage you to read and reread 
the gospel records. Because there, as you read there about Jesus, you see his life, sort of things that happened to him, and you find that, wow, I see some point of similarity between him there, all those 2,000 years ago, on the streets of Palestine, and me today here on the streets of Croydon or whatever. And that's it. This is what it means to be in Christ. That our life is meshed together with his. So, Peter is clearly the founder of the big guy in the early church. And everyone's, oh, you're wonderful, Peter. And he's doing all this, it says, in Solomon's porch, we just read, which is part of the temple. Now, Jerusalem was not a big place. And do you know about six weeks before this, Peter had three times denied Jesus. Three times he had said, I do not know the man, and had cursed and sworn and said, I don't know. There's a lady outside who looks like she might be looking for us. Time can go and welcome her in. Cheers. And so, there, and, and everyone knew that he'd done this because it was all public and it was all well known that um, Peter had denied Jesus three times. He was in shame and that he ran out in the darkness in tears and cried bitterly and wept that he'd let Jesus down. And now six weeks later, he is now a big guy in this new church that has been founded by the Lord Jesus. And so you see there the amazing transformation and how God uses broken people because really in a, in a human organisation they would have said, oh well he messed up, let's put him on the back burner for a bit, you don't have any public role for a bit. Not with, not with Jesus, oh right, I've forgiven you Peter, right, zap, there you are. You're right in the, in the thick of it again. And in fact a big guy. You see how... Jesus will use broken people and he will use people who are despised by others and people who've sinned big time. Absolutely. The high priest rose up and all they that were with him the second of the Sadducees and they were filled with jealousy. They arrested them, the apostles and put them in prison. But an angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, you go and stand and sleep in the temple to the people all the words of this life. A bit later on in Acts, we're going to read that actually the very same thing happens again. That Peter is again put in prison and again an angel comes and opens the doors and lets him out. And you think, why did that happen twice in his life? I think it was so that the second time he's in prison, he thinks, well, when I was in prison before, an angel came and opened a door and let me out. To encourage him to believe it would happen again. And so when you look at your life, you can see how things repeat. Deja vu, already seen. That you might have the neighbours from hell, who are absolutely awful, banging on the door night and day, drinking, smoking spliffs right on the stairwell and all this kind of stuff. Oh, then they clear off and life, and you move somewhere else, everything's good. Oh, five years later, you find... Oh, well, I've got the neighbours from hell again. Why does life have that way of repeating? It's because the bigger hand of God, the higher hand of God, is there in human life. And you go through one experience, you may fail it, or you may, may respond to it correctly. 
And then the Lord Jesus, like a good teacher, repeats the exercise. And again you have an opportunity to succeed or fail. And so when you look at your life, you do see that, that things repeat. And you may wonder why. And although you cannot, as I say, attach meaning to events, you can't say, ah, oh, yes, I know why this is happening in my life. You do get that strong sense that what's happening to me is not random. It's not random chance. But that actually there is a bigger hand that is working in my life for a purpose. And that purpose is, at the end of it all, that we might live forever in God's kingdom. So, you also see how the uh, high priest and the, uh, and, and the Jewish leaders are full of jealousy and they lay hands on them or arrest them and take them away because they're jealous. That's exactly what these very people had done to Jesus a couple of months before, six weeks or so before. And so you, you see how, again, their experiences had something in common with the experiences of Jesus. And this is the way to make sense of life, to see that actually what I'm going through is not so unique, but Jesus went through this before. And you see it particularly when you read the record of the crucifixion, that you know, if, for example, your bones are, you've got a bone that is really painful. Well, all his bones were out of joint and painful when he was crucified. And the tragic thing was that he was crucified with his mother watching. And he says, woman, behold your son. And the pain of saying goodbye to your mother. You know, we've all gone through this or something similar. Well, you are not alone because... He has been through. He has been through the same thing. So, when I heard this in the morning, they entered into the temple and taught. But the high priest came and made that one with him and called the council together and all the senate and the children of Israel and sent to the prison that had been brought. When the officers came, they didn't find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, saying, We found the prison shut in all safety. And the keepers standing at the doors, but when we'd opened them, we found nobody inside. Which shows that this was not a prison as we might imagine it, but like an arrest cell. A cell where they just put these the apostles, and when they opened the door, where's Peter? He's not here. It was like a cabin almost. Guarded. And you see the similarities. I hope that's not beer. <laughs> Well, with the treats coming later, guys, we're not there yet. So, but you see the similarity with the resurrection of Jesus, that the the uh, that there were soldiers guarding the tomb, and suddenly, oh, there's nobody inside it. And what's the point of that similarity? Well, the point of it is that everything that happens to Jesus, in one way or another, is happening to his people. So when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the upshot of all this would be. The captains of the temple. Judas Iscariot went to the captains of the temple and said, What will you give me? And I'll betray Jesus to you. 
Now these guys would have that in their memory. And this is again their conscience being nudged that there's something special about these people who follow Jesus. And people act all tough and strong and say, oh, don't give me all that God stuff, I'm an atheist, I'm this, I'm that, don't talk to me about all that. They act all tough and strong. But actually, underneath, in their heart of hearts, their conscience is being nudged because everybody has a conscience. And so this is how it is. People's consciences are being nudged and God does this to us all, all the time. And as I've said before, that's why when you start talking about the gospel to somebody, they often act very, very differently than if, for example, you try to sell them something or, or whatever. Oh, you, you raised anything to do with Jesus, oh, they start feeling all funny and difficult and get awkward with you. Because they got a conscience. Because they got a conscience. And we've all got that conscience. And the point is surrender. Just surrender to the call of Jesus. Surrender and go the way that he's calling you to go. There came someone that told them, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are in the temple, standing and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them. Without further violence. So they feared the people, lest the people should stop them. Well, you see how public opinion has changed. First of all, say three and a half years before this, Jesus had been preaching and oh, everyone thought he was wonderful. And then, oh, they all turned against him. And they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. His blood be on us and on our children. Okay, they crucify him. And now, a few weeks later, oh, we think Christianity is wonderful. It's called being fickle. Fickle. The one minute people are, oh yeah, Jesus is wonderful. Oh no, 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 kill him, kill him. No, let's kill him. Oh no, no, now he's wonderful. And that's what makes you sick of being human, really. You're sick of people. That people are, you know, all, all friends and smarmy and nice one minute, and there's something else the next minute. And that, I'm afraid, is how human beings are. And that is what brings us to this need for personal connection with Jesus. Absolutely, because he is the one who will not disappoint. He is the one who you will not turn around and say, oh yeah, I regret that. Yeah? That's why I encourage people to just be baptised simply into Jesus, not into any church, denomination, all that stuff, but straight up into Jesus. And I've baptised literally many thousands of people in my life, and not one of them has ever sent me a text, email, message and said, you know what, Duncan, I regret doing that. A lot of people say, oh, I regret joining that church. Yeah, oh yeah, plenty of that, don't blame them. Yeah, but this is the, this is the connection that you will never regret. That's why if anyone wants to be baptised, I mean, come back to my place afterwards, tomorrow, whatever, come to the garden party on Saturday, get baptised. Just into Jesus. So, when they brought them, when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, We strictly ordered you not to teach in this name, and yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Wait a minute, these were the very people who had been screaming and shouting, His blood be on us and on our children. And now, ooh, they're all pussyfooting around, saying, Oh, look, 
uh, stop making all this fuss about Jesus. We don't want his blood on us. Well, you were all yelling it. His, yeah, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate's saying to them, what, shall I crucify your king? I'll give you, why don't you uh, just let, let me let him go free? No, 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 kill him. Uh, yeah, let his blood be on us. And Pilate's saying, why? This is innocent blood. He's an innocent man. Yeah, yeah. Well, let his blood be on us and on our children. And now, the very same guys are pussyfooting around saying, oh, well, uh, we, we don't want you to start preaching about this Jesus because we don't want his blood on us. <laughs> You're asking for it a couple of months ago, yelling and screaming for it. And again, you see the conscience that there is in people. Oh, we don't want to be guilty of the blood of Jesus. Right. Well, what are you so hung up about it for? Unless you've got a conscience, unless in your heart of hearts you know this is true. We have this big gap in our heart that only Jesus can fill. And so it's for us then to accept that and to just surrender. And that is what I encourage you to do. If you've not been baptised to be baptised into the Lord Jesus. If you have been baptised, to keep going in that way and surrender after surrender to him. Now, we're going to take the bread and the juice, and the, the bread represents the body of Jesus, and the cup represents his blood. And by doing this, we are connecting ourselves with him. You remember we saw that when people saw what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, they thought, wow, God is for real, God is serious. And they were killed for what they did for lying, uh, for trying to make themselves out to be more righteous than they were. Crowds of men and women were baptised, and it says they were added to the Lord Jesus. So that is an act of identity, where you say, yeah, I believe he died and rose again, and I want to make that identity with him. And by taking the bread and the juice, we're also making the same connection, that I want to be part with him. I want to be added to him. I want to be in him. don't want to be alone. I want to be in him. Right, let's just, let's just thank God and, and bless the bread and the juice. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for these symbols of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that you're knocking on our door. And we want to open and let him in and let you in and not make excuses anymore but to go your way right to the end, time and again, decision after decision. Please help us and thank you. For his sake. Amen. Right, well let's give thanks to the food. Let's just give a prayer for the food and then we can uh, stick into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Shay and Debbie. Uh, getting the food out for us and we pray that you'll bless each of us and fill us Father with this food and with the, the bread that is from heaven from the things of your son and of your word for Jesus sake Amen, Amen.